The following podcast uses language that would make a judge blush. Hello and welcome to episode 272 of the Thinking LSAT podcast in Vienna, Virginia. This is Ben Olson. With me is Nathan Fox in State Line, Nevada. What's up, man? Nothing. Snowed here. What? Did you guys get snow yet? You haven't got snow, have you? No, I don't think it's so. the, <laughs> It's like 70. I'm watching the Masters on TV, which, you know, the Masters is normally in April. I, I'm sure you know, Ben. Um, no, I didn't. In not, Augusta, but... <laughs> <laughs> Augusta, Georgia. And it's like the dudes there are sweating through their shirts. And uh, here in uh, California slash Nevada, up in the mountains, it's, uh, yeah, we got about a foot of snow last week. So wow. It's wow. Kind of wild. That's a decent amount. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it really came down. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. How's life? Yeah, it's good. Um, it's been warm here. It's been like 70 and I've been uh, exercising more. Yeah, it's been good. It's been nice. What's on the show today? Today we're going to have a pearls versus turds on using a pen on logic games. Yep. Okay, this advice has been around for a while. We're having someone who's struggling with logical reasoning and reading comp. We have a new feature, Hills to Die On. Okay, you'll have Can't to tell wait. me what that is. Yep. Need to help. Someone needs help deciding on an LSAT program. Hmm. Narrowing down. Someone needs help on narrowing down their applications. Wow, it's unusual for someone to have too many applications, but I'm curious. And then a diversity statement critique. Good luck. This will air on Monday, November 16th. The January LSAT Flex registration deadline is December 2nd. That's a Wednesday. So you have yep. a couple couple weeks for that. The February LSAT Flex registration deadline is January 6th. And then the January LSAT Flex week starts January 16th, middle of January. Uh, same for February LSAT Flex. That's going to start in the middle of February, February 20th. Email the show at help at thinkinglsat.com. Let us know what you want help with. Leave a review on iTunes. That always helps. So we're coming up on episode 300. Not there yet, but we will probably do a best of episode and include the portions of the show that you found most memorable, I guess. Send them to us and we will throw them into that episode. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, anything else? Do you want to talk about the few waiver stuff? Yeah, I mean, it's always good to just remind everybody that we are giving away the demon for essentially free um, for for $30. That's the amount that LSAC charges us. We'll let you have three, uh, four months of demon basic. All you got to do to get that set up is email help at thinkinglsat.com. We'll also give you um, a discount on the demon premium or demon live plans as long as you qualify for the law school admission council fee waiver. Cool. All right, so this pearls versus turds, this is where we take some advice and decide whether it's a pearl, good advice, or a turd, bad advice. The scoreboard right now is nine pearls, 38 turds, 21 ties. I'll read this. It says, I watched a Logic Games video, and the tutor suggested using a pen and pencil on each game. He said to use the pen for worlds or any permanent rules, and the pencil on top of the pen for each question so if erasing is necessary, you're just erasing the pen on top. Any thoughts? I mean, my first thought is what if you 
fuck up your main diagram? Like, what if you fuck yep. up your worlds or what if you fuck up your the rules that you're writing down, but now you've done it in pen. So then what are you going to do? Start over? Yeah, absolutely. That is my number one thought as well. If you mess things up, now you have to like scratch it out or start over, which sucks. And even if you don't mess things up, you know, sometimes I'm like drawing the rules, I'm putting things together and then I realize, oh, T doesn't just go in three. Like initially I thought T had to go in three, four, and seven. And I like noted that. And then I realized because of the other rules, T can only go in seven. And now I can just erase those stupid little arcs and I have T in seven and it's done. And I don't have this other clutter. I, I love the eraser. Yeah. I already put this one down as a turd. Yep. Um it's a, this is a horrible bit of advice. It's just, it's like, this is one of these things where it's like, it's a clever idea and it's, you know, someone thought of it and was mm-hmm. like, Oh, I know what I'll do. And yeah. it, that's like their own little brand or whatever, but this isn't going to help students at all. This is going to hurt students. It's they're overthinking it. You don't need to have a pen and a pencil, just have a pencil. Yep. Um, furthermore, you know, I think what they're trying to teach people to do here is with the if questions, yep. they want you to do the if question on top of the diagram, right? So it'll say like, if T is third, what happens? And then what they want people to do is to take the pencil and on the main diagram, put T third and then make whatever inferences they can make and then answer the question and then fucking erase it. Oh, and then before you're losing they do that the next world? question. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So you don't even get the benefit of having that working scenario on your board. It's the exact opposite of what we would teach, right? I mean, we teach people to do the list question first, then all the if questions. And the reason why we want them to do the if questions is that we want them to build up a repository of working scenarios in the game. So yeah. this this tip would actually prevent people from doing what we want them to do. So this one is a clear turd. Hey, a question for you. Before we were, well, before I was doing worlds, I mean, I've always done worlds to some extent, but before it became like a thing thing, right? It was just like a a minor thing. It was like a side strategy. Uh I didn't call it worlds. You called it worlds. I got that term from you. And I had not heard that anywhere else. Like a power score, I think, calls it like scenarios. Oh God, they had some annoying trademarked. Yeah. yeah, (laughs) Like, right. Identifying the possibilities, I think is what they called it. And then they had another one, which was identifying the templates. It was like two separate things in the book. And I was like, what, why do you teach this as two? I don't know. Maybe they just wanted to get another trademark. Yeah. Worlds and complex worlds. (laughs) (laughs) No, just call it worlds. It's easy. Well, who knows? Yeah, I don't know. But the thing is, when this person said, he said to use the pen for worlds, is this person like interpreting what the tutor is talking about? Or is the tutor actually using the word word worlds? And I'm, yeah, just then maybe like our preaching of worlds is spreading out there more. Or maybe people use that term more than I knew. I I should have put trademark on it. Damn. I should have put TM. Then I could go around (laughs) suing people for copyright or whatever. No, that's my free gift to the world, Ben. If if people take over the term world, where did you get that term? LSAT teaching just came to your I head. Don't know, just it makes sense, right? It's like, oh, I don't disagree with it. Yeah, but we're in this world or we're in that world. I mean, it's a conversationally people use that idea all the time, mm-hmm. right? In a world where Trump doesn't concede the presidency, you know that type of a 
Of oh, a you mean this world? Yeah, gotcha. <laughs> fucking asshole. I hate that guy. Um, all right, should we move on? Yeah, let's do it. All right, struggling with LR and RC. My first score was 137 or 138 or something. Now I'm scoring 153 or 154. It's a nice little jump in score. But my goal is to try to make it to at least 160. Games is my strongest section, but I score anywhere from minus six to minus zero. I'm working on closing that gap, and I'm confident I can score consistently less than minus six or even get more minus zeros on games. Any tips for LR or RC? There isn't one question type I'm missing a lot in either. It's just a little bit of everything that I get wrong. That's the email. No. Okay. I feel like on that. I feel like I've gotten this question a bajillion times and it's kind of like, huh? Um, any tips for LR or RC? It's just so global. Yeah. I mean, we always say the same things, read and understand, but I don't know that this is what this person is looking for. I don't know. In the past, I've had people who are like, yeah, yeah, I know what you mean by that. But I mean, like, can you give me something like else? Like there's some magic sauce that I'm trying to hold back. Yeah. People asking for tips. It's just, you're, they're just thinking about it wrong. We're not, that's not what we do. Nope. We don't sell magic beans. Nope. What we do is we help you understand every single question on the test. I mean, because the deal is every single question makes perfect sense. Once you understand it, every question makes perfect sense. And so what this student needs to do is, talk about individual mistakes they've made instead of this big, you said global, it's you're, you're totally right. Instead of this big global, like I need to get better at LR and RC. How do I do that? Yeah. It's like, well, show me the questions you're missing. Yep. Come to class, show me the questions you're missing or hit the ask button in the demon and we'll get back to you with a full written explanation of the question. And then if you still don't understand, then you need to ask for more help um, in the LSAT demon, we have office hours multiple times a week. Ben, you do an office hour. I do an office hour. Jackson's got the extra help session, I think still. And you can just come to any of our classes and ask whatever questions you want to ask. We've got a whole team of awesome teachers and you know, the, <laughs> that's the real, the real, it's kind of like a secret about the LSAT is that they all make perfect sense. You just have to dig into it so that it makes sense. And when you, when you learn that one question and you really understand it, you're going to see your score go up because there's going to be on the very next test you do, there's going to be a question that's almost identical to that question. They, they just don't change it. They're not hiding the ball at all. So you got to dig into each individual mistake. I mean, I would say to whoever this is, we don't have a name for struggling. Improved already from 137, 38 to 153 or 154. That is a nice little 15 point jump. And if your goal is 160, you know, you've only got to go six or seven more points. Totally achievable. But the way you get there is by humbling yourself and telling us actually what you don't understand. Yeah. Is that clear enough? I mean, the other thing I would say is this person definitely should try to get to perfect on the games. Uh, if games is, if you're not already at minus zero consistently on the games, you can keep practicing and you can improve even more on the games. And that's not going to get this person all the way to 160, but it's going to get them halfway there or 
you know, about halfway there. And then all they got to do is pick up one or two more questions on LR and RC. I totally believe that they can do it, but they got to ask more pointed, better questions. Like not just tell me the shortcut. Instead, I missed this question. I really don't understand why the answer is B. I thought it was D. I don't get it. That, that's what you have to do. You, you got you to gotta humble yourself to, to just confront the, the fact that you just don't understand shit. I don't know why people are so reluctant to do that sometimes, but uh, that's how you get there. Well, another clue that this person is like looking at, like trying to look at this as a real high level is there isn't one question type I'm missing a lot in either. And, and that's, again, looking for some global pattern like, oh, look, I'm missing necessary assumption more, so I need to work on those. No. If you can better understand a must-be-true question, that can help you with a flaw question. Because if you can understand why answer choice C doesn't yep. have to be true, now you can understand why the conclusion in a flaw question doesn't have to be true. So yep. you really have to develop those underlying skills. Yeah, that's reason number one million why you shouldn't read the question stem first on logical reasoning, by the way. I, I have a feeling that this this is a question that arises when people get too caught up in question types. Yep. Question types are important. You do need to understand that they are asking you different questions. It's not the same question every time. But on logical reasoning, you have to attack the argument first and understand what's wrong with the argument and 75% of the time, that's just the answer, no matter what type of question they end up asking you. So people have this like fetish for, you know, I, I have to identify my weak types. It's not about that. It's, it's about understanding one mistake that you've made. Um, on reading comp, I don't even notice that there's different question types, by the way. Like if, if you came to me, Ben, and told me that in Demon 2.0, we weren't even going to do question types on reading comp, I would be like, cool, fine. Yeah. Because in reading comp, they're asking you whether you comprehended what you read. Yeah. And so, you know, you just, if you suck at reading comp, it's because you're not reading the passage carefully enough. As simple as that. Um, but again, you know, what ones did this person miss? And we can, then we can talk about it. 100%. I mean, not to <clears throat> belabor this too much, but just to give you uh, a little story, an anecdote from Can't wait. this weekend, I was, uh, or a couple of days ago, I guess, I was helping my oldest son with the SAT and it was a reading comp question. And of course I just was like, yep, okay, this is what I do every day. And the question was asking him where in a four sentence paragraph, one of the sentences should go. The third sentence really needed to go in the second sentence slot. And I, you know, I ask him when he gets questions wrong to explain to me why the wrong answer is wrong and the correct answer is correct. And he's kind of stumbling and just repeating what the explanation had said. But I was like, I don't, I don't think you really understand this. So let's go through each sentence and make sure we understand them. And we went through the four sentences and there were two of them that his interpretation of the sentence wasn't correct. And it just took a while to get to a point where it's like, okay, you understand exactly what that sentence is saying and you understand what the other sentences are saying. And finally, you understand how they relate to each other. Now we can jump into the question, which is, hey, where should this sentence go? And it became much more obvious. And, you know, it was a situation where he could turn around and explain it to someone else. That whole thing took like 30 minutes and it's one yeah. question that he got wrong. And at the end he goes, I hope I don't get any of those wrong again. Cause 
in his mind, it's like he got one question wrong, and then dad comes in and is like, oh, we're going to sit here and talk about this for 30 minutes. <laughs> but I'm like, Matthew, you got to understand, you're learning how to translate sentences into plain English, and yep. then you're learning how they relate, like their ideas relate to each other. That is a core skill that's going to unlock not just this question, because I think he thought of it as like, oh, we did all that to just understand that one question. It's like, no, it's going to unlock all questions that are like this yep. one in the future and a bunch of others, because these are fundamental skills. And what I don't think this person understands, maybe maybe not, maybe they do, but that that time you spend on one question, regardless of what type it is, if you really own it, is going to unlock 100 more. Yeah. And the the takeaway tip, really, it sounds like for Matthew on that question was, dude, all you have to do is just read the damn thing more carefully. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like you're just not reading it carefully enough. If you had read it better in the first place, you wouldn't have even had this problem. I don't have to explain shit to you. All I have to do is help you to slow down to make sure that you're understanding every sentence. Yeah. You know, I do uh, in my classes um, in the LSAT Demon, we do this new thing now, story time, where I read the passage to, to the class and then I let them do the questions. People find almost universally that the questions are super easy just because I read the passage to them. Yeah. Well, that's because when I read the first sentence and there's like something there to unpack, I'm going to always unpack it before I move on to the second sentence. It's not this monotone, just da, 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 I'm reading and like nothing's actually going in. Instead, it's like, okay, they said something. I'm going to think about what they said before I move on. You can't <laughs> be answering the questions before you've read the passage. And on logical reasoning, you can't be looking at the question stem and the answer choices before you've really read what's there in the argument. I mean, I, hey, you know, you want a tip? I'll give you a tip. Read better. Mm -hmm. Like, really, that's all there is to it. Because, you know, there are smart people who uh, who score 165 on the LSAT with no preparation whatsoever. Like, didn't even know what was on the test. Have yeah. never seen a test before and score a cold 165. The reason why is because it makes sense. You don't need tips. You need to read more carefully. Yeah. It's a reading comprehension test first. I mean, really every test is a reading comprehension test first. I, did I tell you about Haley, my niece? Um, oh, yeah. Fucking up a math test? No. We, we had had a little tutoring session the night before on Zoom. I was helping her with her seventh grade algebra stuff. And she was like killing it. I'm like amazed at how much better she's gotten in math uh, just over the last year. Yeah. Uh, shout out to Mr. Thomas at Ripon Elementary. But she's like miles better than she used to be at math. But then she got an actual F on her math test the next day. And when I went and looked through the questions with her, she 100% knew how to do the math. She uh, she absolutely understood how to do the math. And she had just misread like half of the questions where she just wasn't answering the question that they actually asked. She goes like straight into the, okay, I'm going to do this math now. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, I know, but you're answering the wrong question. So it doesn't matter how good your math is if you're answering the wrong question. You know, on logic games, that's like somebody um, like just misreading a must be true versus a could be true. Right. Students will be just pulling their hair out like, hey, there's two answers. There's two possible answers here. That can be true and that can be true. And I'm like, yeah, I know, but it's asking you which one of those must be true. 
<laughs> that's you know, it's like I can't. That's not any kind of magic LSAT sauce. That's just, dude. You got to just read it more carefully. Yeah, you got to start behaving like a lawyer and read every word, not just some of the words. Yeah. Bottom line, in my mind, if you're going to read better, that essentially means you get you have to get better at reading individual sentences, and that means translating them into plain English. I am always doing that, even though I've been doing this for years. I read a sentence and I'm like, oh, okay. So what I think you're trying to say is X. And I may say that out loud if I'm talking to a class or I'm saying it in my head. I have to like pause. I can't just plow ahead, even though I've done this a million times. And then it's like, what do you think about what has been said now that it's been translated into plain English? Yeah. Um, You know, real talk. Uh, by the way, you know, the following podcast contains real talk. So you, if you're not, you're not comfortable with that, you should look elsewhere. Did you happen to catch the like five errors in this very short email? I mean, I, I was reading it out loud and yeah. I was like correcting them yeah. as I went. Yeah. But yeah. this is a like four sentence email and almost every sentence has typos and errors and all types of, all types of sloppy shit in it. And it's just like, that ain't lawyer shit. I'm sorry. You're not, right now, you're not acting like a lawyer. You're, you're scoring a non-lawyerly 153. And the reason why you're scoring a non-lawyerly 153 is because you're not reading carefully enough and you're not writing carefully enough either. And that shit ain't going to fly. It is not going to fly in law school. And it is certainly not going to fly in court. So, you know, <laughs> y'all got to slow down and you just got to be more careful with words. Reading and writing both. Yeah. All right. Cool. Should we move on yeah. to this new feature? Hills to die on. So you're going to have to tell yes. me what this is. I this is A Dot's idea. Okay. okay. I was asking A Dot to brainstorm new features for the show. Okay. And she said, how about if you guys discuss and debate unpopular opinions that you feel so strongly about, you'd be willing to die on that hill? They can be LSAT related or non-LSAT related. And that's uh, A dot suggesting um, a new feature for the show. So if this catches, thank you, uh, Annalisa. This I think is a brilliant idea. I have I had like a million ideas immediately. I had a ton of different ideas for this feature, but we already discussed one of them. Uh, the the one hill that I would like to die on. It's a kind of a controversial or unpopular opinion about the LSAT. Mm. Definitely do not read the question stem first on logical reasoning. I'll go down with the ship on that one. That's something that, you know, it's the exact opposite of what Kaplan teaches, Princeton teaches, mm-hmm. LSAT trainer, blueprint, you name it. Like there's it's a whole bunch of um, the uh, cardinals of the of law of the LSAT that are out there, you know, just no, 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 this is the established sure. doctrine that you have yeah. to read the question stem first on logical reasoning. And I will for sure die on that hill that that is that is totally wrong. Do you have any other LSAT related ones? I think maybe for this first show we'll just do only LSAT sure, related ones. That's fine. I'd love to add some. But can we unpack the metaphor for like a half second? So Cardinals? the hill is the thing that you are oh, like Oh, that. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's like if you're in war and yeah. you're going to like your final stand is like that this, hill. This I'm not going to let hill. that like, hill we go. Can't, exactly. Okay, yeah. gotcha. Precisely. Yeah. Okay. Um so hills to die on. What do you, you got a hill to die on? Yes. Okay. So things I'm thoroughly committed to would be 
you have to understand the sentences, this is what we were just talking about, and the passage as a whole before you go into the questions. And I I feel like that hill is in all three sections, games, logical reasoning, and reading comp. I think it comes up most frequently in reading comp where people are like, hey, you know, how can I go faster? How can I do better? How can I get through this? And I'm like, hey, I spend three to five minutes on a passage and I know tons of people who spend one to two. I am not going to leave that passage. I will die on that hill because I don't want to answer questions until I own the passage. It's the same feeling that I have in games. I'm not going to jot down a couple of rules and then run into the questions. I'd feel like shit. And same with logical reasoning. Yeah, like there's a rule that's confusing. You're like, oh, I'm not sure exactly oh. what they mean by that. <laughs> Let me just go ahead and try to answer the questions now. That oh my God. is not the right way no. to do it. Yeah, that's that's a good one. Um I could go on all day with these. I would like to die on the hill that the LSAT, and I already said this earlier too, the LSAT makes perfect fucking sense. You know, I get, I get students in class who are like, and I feel for them, you know, they're, they're struggling with it and they think the LSAT is so mysterious and so confusing and so difficult. They just think it's impossible, you know, and, and they think that, oh no, there's, there's three good answers to this question. This is a really hard one because there's so many good wrong answers. And by the time I'm done explaining the question, I'm like, I'm sorry, but those two other answers that you thought were good are absolute trash. They make no sense. They are not answering the question. The one answer that is the correct answer is it's, it makes perfect sense. It's actually easy. Once you read it carefully enough, once you really understand what the sentences say in the argument, once you understand what the question is asking, and that's just a matter of slowing down and reading it carefully. Once you understand, once you understand what the correct answer says, you will see that the correct answer perfectly answers the question that they're asking and it makes perfect sense. And the LSAT is easy. And that's a, you know, that's something that I don't think like, I don't think Kaplan believes that. The way the, the methods that they teach indicate to me that they don't think the LSAT is actually easy. And that's why they suck so bad at LSAT. I mean, they are just complete trash, like telling you to pick and choose which question types to do on logical reasoning because some of them are easier and some of them are harder. Like skip around and pick the ones that make sense to you. Skip around in the games and only do the ones that make sense to you. That is such bullshit. And, you know, they seem to be, they've planted a flag in like, oh, the LSAT's really hard and you should, you know, oh, you're not going to be able to understand all of it. So, you know, you should skip around and pick and choose the stuff that makes sense. I'm here to tell you that it all makes perfect sense. I'll back you up on that one with uh, making sense. I would say that the two most common scenarios where I'm arguing with someone about an answer choice, right? It's usually in logical reasoning because in games, these things are settled with just a little more clarity. Yep. And in reading comp, it's settled with a little more clarity too. You're like, look, did you see line seven? Okay, game over. Yep. It's in logical reasoning. And the two scenarios that come to my mind are where someone is debating between two answer choices. They think that the wrong one is better and they have their whole like spiel. And I'm like, look, the correct answer makes an assumption. The answer you like makes an assumption. Let's make those assumptions explicit and then decide which one is a more reasonable assumption. And almost universally, when 
that becomes explicit, they're like, oh yeah, my assumption for my answer choice is less reasonable, far less reasonable than the assumption that the correct answer is making. But what happened was they saw the assumption that the correct answer is making, and they didn't see the assumption that they're making for their answer choice. Right. And so then they're like, I just don't understand. I hate this. It's so subjective. The other scenario is where their answer choice requires two assumptions, and the correct answer requires only one. And again, they're focusing on that, and they're not seeing how they actually have to like make two leaps to get to their answer. And you're like, do you see that? And once you see that again, you're like, oh, this makes perfect sense. And these questions have all been vetted. So you're fighting an uphill battle if you want to nice. go for those other answers. You just don't see it. Yeah. It. Yeah. That's happens a lot when people do the test passively and they're like trying to make the answer choices right. Yeah. It's real. if they're like, if they're reading the answer choices, hoping that that, that that answer is right instead of expecting that answer to be wrong. Mm -hmm. I'm looking for reasons why each answer is wrong, you know, and the one I can't get rid of is the answer. The, they do it the other way around. They're hoping A is the answer and they're trying to make a case for A. And then they just, because they're trying to make it work, they miss the problems that it has. Um, so then they, then they get stuck on and perseverate on that answer. Um, I, I have a million of these. I let me, can we do one more, uh, hill yeah. to die on? Uh, I don't want, we can save, um, other ones for future shows, but, sure. uh, I would die on the hill. And I think that this is pretty, this is an unpopular opinion that I think the law school admission council would disagree with. Mm. Uh, most people shouldn't finish the sections in 35 minutes. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> they stupidly think that people should. That's why they give accommodated students way too much extra time. And they're all proud of the fact that the accommodated students finish the sections. Meanwhile, I'm telling people who are scoring 160 not to finish the sections. I'm telling people who are scoring 165 even, don't finish the sections. Slow down. You're making too many mistakes on the easy ones. You got to slow down. And I don't care if you don't finish. You can leave a few unanswered at the end, just randomly guess on them, and you'll score higher. But yeah. um, most LSAT dogma, I keep coming back to that word, but you know, most of the uh, establishment in the LSAT world seem to think that you're supposed to finish the sections in 35 minutes. And yeah, if you're going to score 175, then yeah. But to get to 150 or 160 or even 170, you don't need to finish any of the sections. And that's definitely a hill that I would die on. Yeah. Cool. All right. Thanks, Dot, for suggesting uh, an awesome new feature for the show. You want to take this uh, next email? Yeah. Hi, Nathan, Ben, and Annalisa. I just got my October LSAT results back and I'm sorely disappointed in myself. Not to look down too much on my score of 156, I probably only studied, in air quotes, 15 to 20 hours in total on my own. What? <laughs> what do you think's going to happen? Yeah, you should be wow. disappointed in yourself. Why you should you be disappointed this? in yourself for that effort, yeah. Uh -huh. The reason I say studied, in air quotes, is because I really only read a book on the LSAT and partially put effort into practice, practice exams and tests. Yeah, that's another mistake. Okay, looking for tips as opposed to just doing the work. The 156 matches my first diagnostics, so if you can extrapolate anything from a few practice tests and one real one, I'm at least consistent. 
Okay. Yeah. Well, we knew you were around the mid 150s. No more information has been garnered here. Yeah. Let me just interrupt. The LSAT tests three things it tests your English, it tests your logic, and it tests how hard you can work. Mm-hmm. And you, with a 156, I mean, that's slightly above average. Yep. But that's your cold diagnostic, and that's your now official LSAT score because you failed on the how hard you can work portion of the exam. Most people are going to do at least 10 practice tests, maybe 20. Most people are going to study, you know, an hour a day minimum for three months and frequently two hours a day for six months. Yeah. And, um, you know, you're going to get your ass handed to you in law school if that's your work ethic. And you're, that's why you're not excelling on the LSAT. I mean, natural talent wise, I bet this person, this is G who's writing in natural talent wise. I think your English and your logic are probably perfectly fine, perfectly adequate enough to get a very average 156. You're going to have to bust your ass in law school and you're going to have to bust your ass even more than that as a lawyer. And you better start doing that on the LSAT or else you're just, you're not going to get it done. It's not going to happen for you. How, why would you, you know, to score in the one sixties, you're going to beat four out of five or nine out of 10 of all other applicants. And those other applicants are busting their ass studying every day. And you just didn't even, you know, you didn't do it. So, well, particularly like you kind of alluded to this, but a one fifty six is actually an excellent diagnostic score. You're the oh, kind of candidate yeah. who should be shooting for the one seventies. Hell Yeah. So, yeah. And, but to get to the one seventies, now you're beating, you know, 97 out of a hundred other applicants. And even if you have better raw talent, English and logic, even if you have better raw talent than most other people, um, you're not going to be able to beat 97 out of a hundred other candidates, uh, with that amount of work. It just ain't going to happen. Yeah. And this person definitely should not have taken the official LSAT. So what is there like a fourth, fourth skill being trust tested here? Street smarts? <laughs> Common yeah, sense. judgment. Well, I mean, <laughs> you know, and not to like shit on G too much because G had the wherewithal to write into the show and, you know, is showing some genuine interest in improving. Yeah. But uh, other, you know, some people just don't. Like if you don't know the game that's being played, if you don't know lawyers, you don't know law students, you don't know anybody who's gone through this process before, we do see people stumble into the official LSAT woefully unprepared like G did. Uh, The good news, G, is that law schools really only care about your highest score. So it's not that big of a deal. I mean, you wasted 200 bucks, you wasted a day, and you wasted one of your three attempts in uh, the current admission cycle. Which is all bad news. So you shouldn't have done any of those things. But it's uh, it's definitely rectifiable once you get your you know once I would for sure I think one seventy is the goal for G. Yep, and you know making mistakes is some of the fastest way to learn. Like oh shit, okay, this is what I need to do. I need to do something different than what I did. Cool. My real question for you, G continues, which I would love to hear addressed on the podcast is how do I know which study program is right for me? 
I definitely need help. I am now ready to work harder to make the score I know I am capable of happen and to get the full ride I so desperately want. I'm a full-time mechanical engineer, 25 years old, working around 55 hours a week. I looked at the LSAT Demon Live tutoring schedule, live maybe teaching schedule might be more accurate, and saw that there are later classes that would work for me. Not sure how I'd just jump in and start. Maybe there's an intro class, question mark? No, there's no intro class. You can jump into any class. You just jump in at your skill level and get going, and even then you don't need to worry about it. The point- Yeah, I wish to be clear. I have never taught a curriculum. I don't, you don't need an LSAT curriculum. You need to start doing LSAT questions, make some mistakes and learn from those mistakes. And that's how all of our classes work. We do have classes at various levels and we do have classes that will cover substantive areas. For example, Katie just did a brown bag class on paradox questions in logical reasoning. So we have topical stuff to offer and we have stuff at different levels. But it isn't like you have to start at the beginning of the class and end at the end of the class. You could start literally any day of the calendar. I I expect that there's going to be brand new students and veteran students in every class I teach. And that's totally fine because all we're ever doing is just looking at one LSAT question at a time and just making it make sense. So um, for all the listeners, (laughs) you do not need to worry about start dates. Uh, By the way, while I'm on this topic – People weirdly think that the subscription has to start on the first of the month. It is a monthly subscription, but your subscription your subscription can go from the 15th to the 15th or from the 27th to the 27th or whatever. You don't have to like decide whether you're going to be a subscriber for the month of December. You can just start anytime and it's a one week or one month uh, rolling thing. Hmm. Maybe that comes from like rent or something. But um <laughs> yeah. Well, to, to add to that, I, I think you people, when they're thinking about this curriculum, they're thinking about so many other subjects, maybe in their life or in the past or from school or whatever. But the thing that we were just talking about earlier is that we're all about, not tips, but developing those fundamental core skills of can you read and understand? Can you then see how those claims relate to each other and what they imply or don't imply? Those skills can be developed in any context, as long as you're doing actual practice problems and understanding those individual problems. That's the fastest way to having a global understanding and a a solid skill. It's so much worse to study theory for a month and then start doing real questions. It's much more fun and just intuitive and easier to, to get going if you just dive into an LSAT. I mean, the very best thing you could do, if you're a brand new listener, you've never done any LSAT, anything before at all, and you're like thinking about getting started, go on lsatdemon.com, sign up for the free trial and do a practice test. Just dive right in and you're going to fuck up some of the questions. And the ones you fuck up, you're going to watch videos of me and Ben explaining them. You're going to have written explanations as well. And you're going to have the ask button where you can get our awesome team of tutors responding to you to help you understand those questions. You you don't need theory at all. If you're jumping in to the demon, you could even like simplify that down to one LR question yeah. in drilling. Just do it right now and see, does it make sense? If not, why not? Read the explanation, watch yeah. our videos. That's a good point. Like you don't have to do a full test would take you, you know, a couple hours. You could just 
Again, go to lsatdemon.com, sign up for the free trial, do one logical reasoning question. Yep. Or do one logic game or do one reading comprehension passage. Yeah. It's all right there for you. And the best way to get started is not to study theory. It's to just dive right into the actual questions themselves and then learn whatever theory you might need to learn on the ones you've missed. But there's just not that much theory. Like I said, it makes perfect sense. So (laughs) most of the questions, you should just be able to read it carefully and just answer it correctly. Um, so dive right in. The the other thing I wanted to point out for G is that G's looking at our calendars, which by the way, bottom of lsatdemon.com, there's a list to calendars in four different time zones. So you can see all of the shit that we're offering in uh, Demon Live. Um, it's by far the best way to study for the LSAT. I mean, hands down, like <laughs> it's, it's so cheap for what you get. Yeah. We do have calendars for all of those live classes in Zoom. But every single one of those live classes is also recorded and posted the next day to lsatdemon.com. So, gee, you can go to all of those classes just uh, asynchronously. Um, you, you don't have to – I mean, sure, by all means, show up to the live ones. I, I love the live ones and I rely on the audience you know, to have a – conversation. And at the live classes, you can ask questions and get your you know feedback, get your questions answered right away. But you can watch those classes the next day. I mean, if you logged on, you know, any of our students who have a live subscription, they could go back and watch six months worth of my LSAT classes. They're all in the can now. I mean, it's like you could have live LSAT or live with air quotes, live classes with me every single day. The agenda's there, the links to all the questions are there, and you just watch the video and you're going to have like a live feeling class. You're just going to have to use help at lsatdemon.com to get your questions answered. Yeah. So, gee, you know, 55 hours a week by the way, you know, I uh I'm I'm not shitting on your actual work ethic. I'm only shitting on your 15 hours of study that you put into your first official LSAT attempt. You can watch those classes after work, before work, on the weekends, at lunch, whenever. Uh, you don't have to like stick to the actual calendar. Yeah. Cool. All right. So I don't know where I left off. Let's see. Oh, yeah. Maybe there's an intro class. G asked, looking at my schedule, I can dedicate around one hour a day to studying. That's, Perfect. That's a good amount. Originally, I planned on starting school fall of 2021, but I think it would be best to save money and go fall 2022. Agreed. Do that. I think if I take the February and April exam, that should give me enough time from now to study and hopefully improve. If you do the demon, I would be shocked if you did not improve and you did an hour a day, six days a week. And that's a good hour. No no dinking around with your books again. Make sure you're doing actual practice problems. And if you attend any of our live Zoom classes, you'll be doing actual practice problems. I'm not looking to get into Harvard, but I want the local law schools, UM or FIU, to beg me to join their intellectual property programs instead of the other way around. After I take the LSAT, I'm going to immediately start studying for the patent bar, so I have a few busy months, years ahead of me. Thank you again for any help. And I look forward to hopefully hearing from my poorly worded message hearing my poorly worded message on the podcast on my hour-long commute to work. Oh, you're commuting these days. All right. Well, good luck, G. (laughs) Wow. That's shitty. Oh, my God. Working 50 hours a week, 55 hours a week, and still commuting to work? God damn. 
that's that's a rough one. Um, thank you for listening, G, to the podcast. I did not think that your message was poorly worded at all. Ben was trying to read it a little bit too fast, so he kind of botched it. But it it was um, perfectly uh, worded for my taste, and um, I think you'll be totally successful with an hour a day of studying. I, I really hope you do it with us. I think we have the best explanations. I think we have the best teachers. We have the best technology um, with the drilling feature. And we do have every question ever, including prep test M, which already has explanations in the demon. Thanks, Ben and Annalisa and the whole team for all of that awesome work. I was so excited, Ben. We were doing a question in class on Tuesday night. Yeah. A logical reasoning question. And I did, I had never seen the question before. Yeah. And I was explaining it. And I clicked submit. And sure enough, there's the whole full written explanation in the, <laughs> already in the demon. I was like, fuck yeah, go team. Um, it's just awesome. So yeah, gee, an hour a day is plenty. We always say that, you yeah. know, give us one high quality hour and you're going to do just fine. Cool. Cool. The next one is narrowing down applications. Do you want to read this? Sure. It says, hi there. I'm a huge fan of the thinking LSAT. Thanks to your podcast, I was much better equipped to take on the LSAT. Thanks for doing what you do for free. Even though I heard about the demon late in my studying process and never got to use it, I still have recommended it to friends. That's nice of you. I'm looking for advice about selecting which schools to apply to. This has been tricky for me since there's a huge split between my LSAT score and GPA. I got a 3.14 in undergrad and a 176 on my first LSAT take, which was the July Flex. Where the hell should I be applying? After I got my score back last week, I started wondering if I should be thinking about T14 or T20 schools. The online admissions predictors offered by LSAC, Seven Sage, and my LSN all say different things. What do you think? Currently, my list of potential schools is 20 deep, ranging from Columbia down to Loyola Marymount. I don't mind filling out a lot of applications, but I don't want to waste time and money unnecessarily. Just in case it's helpful, I studied history in undergrad, work as a legal aide in a small San Francisco law firm. That's the subject of my personal statement. And my letters of rec should be strong. I looked around on the show's index for this sort of conversation, but couldn't find anything. Thanks for your time. In exchange for your advice, I'm prepared to offer a draft of my personal statement as tribute. But I don't think we have that on the agenda. That didn't get that didn't make the cut. Apparently, much appreciated. <laughs> T. Um, ben, I imagined that you were while I was reading that you were already looking at the at a scholarship predictor. Uh, I was not, but. Um... That would be our recommendation as well. I'm going I was thinking there right about now. location and stuff like that, given the number of places this person's thinking about. Yeah, Columbia and LMU are 3,000 miles away from each other. Uh, so looks uh, that's good, by the way. I mean, that means that T has a uh, wide range of potential um, schools to apply to. And the URL, by the way, to go to T is, uh, sellsetdemon.com forward slash scholarships. Okay. And we have another version of it over here. Okay. Um, great. So what did, what, what did we have? 3.14 yep. and a 176. 
we don't know whether T is an underrepresented minority, so I'm going to leave that box unchecked. Okay. Submit. Columbia gives need-based scholarships, so uh, the predictor just says, don't know. Uh, LMU, is that on here yet? Hmm. Loyola Marymount University, it says half to full tuition scholarship with a 3.14 and a 176. So, you know, the tagline on the show is don't pay for law school. We believe this sincerely. No one should pay for law school. What I would do if I were UT is I would go to lsatdemon.com slash scholarships with an S and I would type in 3.14 and 176 and I would do the search and I would look at schools that are likely to give you uh, half to full or full. The first uh, school that pops up on the list here is 27th ranked University of Iowa College of Law. Now, I would probably shoot myself if I had to live in Iowa, but it does say that they would give you a full tuition scholarship. And if you can stomach, uh, you know, the red state, then you uh, might want to consider Iowa. What else do I see on here? BYU. That's another one where I would probably have to shoot myself. Uh, Indiana. It's, it's so funny, right, Ben? Indiana, Ohio State. It's all these places where like, they know that they have to give you a scholarship or else you're not going to go to their school. Yeah. So, um, you know, let me, I'm going to keep going down until I find somewhere where I would want to live. Baylor? Is Baylor... Is that in Austin? If that's in Austin, that could be okay, but I don't actually know did where Baylor is. Did you sort this by actual cost? Because that's what I did. Oh, I was just sorting it by scholarship. But if we sort by actual cost, oh, it just filters it all down. So, yeah, let's see. Baylor, University of Richmond, Temple, Penn State, University of Kansas, St. John's. Eh, boy, this is a lot of places where I would not like to be. I'm going to keep going until I find a, a place yeah, where George I would like Mason. to live. That's an amazing school. Top 40. Just outside of D.C. And it's just outside of D.C. Okay, yeah. I, I don't know how I missed that one. Um, all the way down to Southwestern. Uh, I still love Los Angeles. And you could definitely get a full ride to Southwestern uh, with a 3.0 and a 176. They would absolutely give you a full ride. So anyway, lsatdemon.com slash scholarships, put in your numbers, and that'll give you a rough idea of what kinds of schools you should be targeting. So wait, did you put in 3.0? Because I put in 3.14. No, no, no. I was just saying at oh, Southwestern, yeah, yeah. even with a 3.0. Because that's greater than full tuition at uh, Southwestern. At Southwestern. Yeah. yeah. Anyways. Yep. Cool. Cool. Thanks for writing in. So this next one is a diversity statement. I guess I'll take this. Greetings. Attack. Why is it so long? Yeah, for a diversity Jesus statement? Jesus Christ. <laughs> okay, that's not good. People submit these statements. Their, their personal statements are already too long. But then the optional essays, like a diversity statement, how much time do you think these people have? Yeah. They're evaluating hundreds of applications. I feel like it's a slap to the face to submit to them something that's so damn long. Yeah. And I also guarantee that you're going to make a million mistakes in here because it's so long. You just, the editing is not going to be as clean as it would be if it were half this long or a third of this length. Can't, I feel like a diversity statement could be less than half a page. Oh, for sure. 
a lot of these things need to be less than a half a page. Two paragraphs. You know, <laughs> one page max. I, I just, I've never Double had spaced. a stomach for a longer. Yeah. I mean, this thing is going to be like four pages long. Anyway, you want to read uh, the email from sure. Eric before Gre- we yeah. rip him a new one? So Eric says, greetings. Attached is a draft of my diversity statement to be eviscerated and rectified on the podcast. Okay. We've already <laughs> <Nice>. started. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Okay. Um, I have not yet heard of a diversity statement from a listener be given some honest feedback from Nathan and Ben on the show. Okay. I just a weird comma there that fucked you up. Yeah. I hope to be an example for better or worse. Yeah. Okay. Well, here we go. So this was, (laughs) just notice, that was two sentences from Eric. The first sentence was beautiful. Yeah. It was short. The ideas were great. Nice use of eviscerated and rectified. Yeah. I was perfectly happy with that. Then the second sentence, it's (laughs) already has a just grammar error or punctuation error with that comma. And, you know, all y'all out there, you got to just write less (laughs) or you got (laughs) to write a lot and then edit it way, way down, way down. Less (laughs) is going to be better. That's my first tip for Eric. Yep. Eric starts. My parents immigrated to the United States from redacted urban poverty. It's a city name, apparently. So, yeah. you know, we'll say it's Bangalore or something like that. Bangalore, urban urban poverty. And after 15 years in the country, they accumulated enough savings to start their business. Colon. A bakery and a laundromat. <sighs> I don't know. You're telling me in this first sentence that you, your family was poor and you came from another country, so that's diverse. Um, okay. I began working... Colon, hold, colon privileges. Yeah. Totally revoked. Yeah. Nobody needs to use a colon. And right here, you said accumulated enough savings to start their business, colon, a bakery and laundromat. You could have just said... They accumulated enough business. Oh, sorry. They accumulated enough savings to start a bakery and laundromat. Yep. By the way, is this like one? This is is this like a Taco Bell KFC situation where it's a bakery know. and laundromat? You could. The, I bet you could use a dryer to bake bread. Uh, what? <laughs> yeah, why not? You'd have to put it inside some sort of a thing so that it doesn't like gum up the works. But I'm pretty sure you could bake a bake a cake inside of a. In, <laughs> is this where this is going, Eric? <laughs> <laughs> well, where it's going, what, what I mean to say is you did not need to do the start their business, a no. bakery and laundromat. You could get rid of the colon, you could get rid of business, and you could just say start a damn bakery. That sentence is too long. Th- that's the first sentence, and it's already too long. Uh, quick word count here. Uh, 30 words. <laughs> 30 words in the first sentence. Eric, your your hard limit is probably 25 words. Uh, you don't need to be getting anywhere close to 30 words in a sentence. You're just going to fuck it up if you do. So shorter. Well, the great thing about that limit is if, you hit tw- if you're over 25 words, it doesn't mean cut it down to 25. That means look at how you can split it into two sentences and make both of them like 10 and 15, right? Like, right. He could have ended this sentence at poverty and then started a new one after 15 years in the country. It's a new idea. Yeah. You don't need to connect yeah. it with and. 
Yeah. Anyways, Eric continues. I began working in their bakery at 13 years old. Hmm. Short sentence. Good. Um, my parents' business has taught me essential life skills. Cut. That's just yeah. pure telling. And it's a fucking colon and again. Here's the colon again. Yeah. How to Are make a serious, sale. Are you serious, Eric? How to treat You thought people? you were going to get away with two colons in the first three sentences? <laughs> Come on, bro. Eric likes colons. Here are the things that he learned. How to make a sale, how to treat people across the socioeconomic spectrum, and how to help a business succeed. Meh, okay. It's just... It's all telling. <laughs> it's such telling. Like, dude, if you just told me that you were working at the bakery when you were 13, I already, I mean, I have great respect for people who have any time at all in the service industry. If you told me that you were there at three in the morning helping to bake the donuts, or if you told me that you were, you know, opening up the register and, you know, I, I would immediately go, oh shit. Like, I like Eric. I like the fact that you have done some service work, but you don't need to tell me that, you know, you now know how to treat people across <laughs> the so socioeconomic spectrum, but uh, across the socioeconomic <laughs> spectrum as well is just a clunky, awkward phrase. Like, do, would you talk like this? Do you speak like this? No way you speak like this. Your writing is going to suck if you write differently from how you actually speak. So <laughs> Yeah, cut the telling. I, I much prefer a more plain spoken approach to this. You also end up like it, because you're overselling here, it ends up backfiring, right? If you if we imagine you as a 13 year old going in and doing work, putting in these hours, it's like, damn, okay. Well, obviously you're learning something that a lot of 13 year olds have no clue about. But now you're saying, I learned how to help a business succeed. And it's like you're almost like trying to take credit for what your parents are doing. And then I'm like, no, probably not. You were just doing whatever they told you. I don't know. It's just best not to say these things. My parents are from Redacted, which is part of the Andean Highlands. Oh, we've narrowed it down. We're in South America now. Okay. Um, let's say Quito. Quito. Mm -hmm. There, bread is the staple of everyone's pantry in wealthy and impoverished households alike. I don't know that I need to know that about your diversity. Who gives a shit? Also, it's that's where isn't that the case? I mean, <laughs> who doesn't eat bread? <laughs> everyone everywhere eats bread. So I don't, this is, I get where, you know, Eric's trying to make this like a movie or something, right? Like the metaphor well, we're going of into bread is life and blah, blah, you know, rich and poor young and old everyone has bread all right what's that have to do with you i don't get you i i get it you worked in a bakery but the fact that everybody in quito you know eats pan doesn't do shit for me okay during my first visit to quito at 13 i remember seeing many children were selling bread in the market and streets trying to make a living for them and their families it made me appreciate how fortunate I was to attend school. M-dash? Which my parents were not able to finish because of the, of the need to economically sustain their own families. You could have said to work. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, again, you do not speak like that, Eric. 
My parents you do not continue say, to economically su- sustain me <laughs> and my siblings. <laughs> yeah, my parents didn't finish school because they were needed to economically sustain their family. <laughs> Dude, come on. Uh, this paragraph is way too long. I don't think the dash is correct here either. School? M-dash? No, you would get rid of the witch yeah. if you were going to use an M-dash there. Yeah. An M-dash is like a semicolon. It means you equals. Yeah. It, it, calm down, Eric. <laughs> right the way you speak. Stop trying to be fancy. It's the one worst thing that people do when they're, they they go into like, oh, now I'm I'm going into writer mode. And then they just write a bunch of pompous bullshit with unnecessary pair. You know, it's like they're showing off. It's like, you know, it's like uh, Ben Affleck's acting where it's like, can you see how hard I'm acting right now? And I'm like, yeah, exactly. That's because you're such a shitty actor. That's why you suck at acting is because <laughs> it looks like you're trying so damn hard all the time. That's how people write. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. I hate Ben Affleck. I really, he's so terrible. But anyway, um, <laughs> like theme-wise. I still don't like the topic. Right now all I've learned about is your – these children in the street. I want to know about you. Um, I'm glad you're grateful for school, but that's not a point in your favor for diversity. That just puts you along with every other American child who's going to school. I, I don't understand. Every sentence needs to move the ball forward. You have several sentences here that do nothing to move. The this ball is forward. like a personal statement, except for it would also be a shitty personal statement, but it's a lot more like a personal statement. Like he's trying to get kind of artsy and tell a story. I mean, you could write one sentence that just said, my parents immigrated from XYZ and didn't go to school. I'm a first generation college student Mm -hmm. and I worked in my parents' bakery. Yep. I'm out. (laughs) Like that's it. That's all I need you to, if you tell, if really, if you tell me you immigrated from keto, you worked in your parents' bakery when you were 13 and you're a first generation college student. Stop, just stop talking. Just yep. Don't, don't say anything more. Stop right there because <laughs> you already scored all the diversity points you're going to score. Yep. You telling me how appreciative you are of your opportunities and kids on the street and keto selling bread and none bread of that and does pantries. anything. Bread and pantries, socioeconomic spectrum. None of that does anything. You're a child of immigrants you're a first generation college student. You worked in the bakery when you were 13. Mic drop. You're out. No more. I don't need anything more. Like the more the longer you talk, I'm only going to get mad. <laughs> okay, Eric continues. He's about to talk more. My parents' bakery sells an important treat in immigrant households. Colon nostalgia. <laughs> 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 Uh, what oh my god that's the third colon we're only on the first sentence of the second paragraph and it's the third colon you're four and you've already used an m dash and i can see that there's another m dash coming in the next sentence can you see how hard eric is working to write yeah it's like i can see how hard you're working it doesn't look effortless, and good writing looks effortless. This looks very effortful. Yep. Also, the idea 
is just too much. It's just cringeworthy. <laughs> they sell nostalgia to image. Oh god. Okay. Because <laughs> you sell. They bread? sell donuts. <laughs> they sell bread. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> he continues. The bakery offers what many people wish they could have bought or brought with them when they left their home country. M dash. In this case, keto. What? <laughs> yeah, keto. That's what he's saying. He's saying that the bakery, they wish they could have brought keto with them. The whole and when they city, okay. And when they go to the bakery, they get keto. I mean, I get the point. I like, but you could have said it in such a more plain spoken way. But wait, why say it at all? Yeah, I, this I is about his mind. parents. Well, okay, but allowing the reader to make their own conclusions, right? Sure. No, that's true. It's about the parents, so who gives a shit? Mm-hmm. But for a little bit of flavor, you know, to tell me that you're working in the parents' bakery, the one thing that they he didn't actually say the fact, so he only said the conclusion, not the fact. The fact that I'm inferring here is that they sell some certain kind of pastry that they sell in keto. <laughs> yeah. And he could have named that thing and then left out the word nostalgia and the reader would have arrived at that same conclusion like, oh, wow, that's cool. They sell native bakery, you know, like that's cool. And instead you're forcing the nostalgia conclusion down my throat. You know, they wish they – and making the stupid, the, the stupid uh, metaphor here of – they wish they could have brought keto with them and the, and your parents are selling keto. <laughs> like, I, it's so just heavy handed and conclusory and you just got to dial it way down and just let the facts speak for themselves here. You didn't even include the facts. Yeah. You're just only telling me the conclusion. It's the, it's the epitome of telling instead of showing. Yeah. Um, I was fortunate, though, because unlike the people I met in that market in Keto or at my parents' bakery, I did not have to work as if my life depended on it. I had the luxury of studying for its own sake and the opportunity to pursue higher education and ultimately law school. <laughs> my, comma, my main objective. <laughs> what the heck? <laughs> What? But you just said studying for its own sake, by the way, which is such a fucking lie because in the, you don't even get out of the damn sentence before you turn around and say that your ultimate goal is law, was law school. Yeah. So you just lied to me, Eric, and then called yourself out on your own lie in the same sentence. And it's just because you're trying so hard. You just got to not – you got to just – you need to, this needs to be about one quarter as long and just stick to the facts. I had the luxury of studying for its own <laughs> sake. Bullshit. You were trying to graduate from high school. Then you were trying to graduate from college. Yep. <laughs> don't fucking lie to me. It, you know, and by the way, to me, I, I'm not, I don't mean me literally. I mean the figurative me who works in a law school. Don't lie to the reader. You're, they're not, you're, you're undermining. This is exactly what I was talking about, Ben. The yeah. longer Eric goes on, the more he undermines his own case 
because the reader is just going to be like, well, that's bullshit. That's bullshit. Like that, you know, and now yeah. they, if you would have just said the facts plainly, you would have scored all the diversity points. And now you're just like going to piss people off. I also don't understand the need that Eric feels to express his appreciation for school. How does that have to do with diversity? It That's because he is conflating the diversity statement with the personal statement. Like if this had been submitted to the show as a personal statement, I, it would not – this doesn't feel at all like a diversity statement to me. This feels like a personal statement. Yeah. I think that – I mean, man – you're an immigrant. You you are the child of immigrants. You can say, I'm the child of immigrants and I worked when I was 13 uh, that, and you're a first-generation college student. Tell me those facts and I don't need any of this bullshit and yeah, rhapsodizing about stu studying for its own sake and the opportunity to go to school. They know that you think school's a good idea, dude. You're applying to law school. Yep. And you went to college you know? when your parents did not. That shows an appreciation <laughs> You're a first for generation something. student. Yeah. That's the fact that will allow the reader to instantly understand all of these things that you're now so heavy-handedly trying to force on them. Yeah. Eric continues, but the discipline I acquired... You don't speak like that. Stop fucking talking like that. But the discipline I acquired, which is also telling, by the way, but the discipline I acquired at the bakery with my parents' support allowed me to appreciate not only their work ethic, but also others. <sighs> why, why do we care about your appreciation for your work ethic or others? I don't see how well, that relates to diversity. I believe that the, maybe the primary reason why schools care about diversity is because diversity does always foster a more collegial uh, environment. People who have diverse backgrounds are more accepting of other people's differences. Sure. But they already know that that's why they have a diversity statement. So you don't need to be like telling them about the value of diverse perspectives. They, that's why they asked you the question. Just by virtue of the fact that you are, again, diverse, the theme of the podcast, the theme, not the podcast, the theme of the diversity statement should be, here's how I'm diverse. You don't have to interpret it for me. Just tell me about the differences. The facts, just the facts. Not what those facts taught you and how you feel about it now. Just say the facts. I I'm going to infer all of these things about you. Yep. Can I, <laughs> I have, to have one more joke to make kind of the use there of the discipline I acquired at the bakery, the heavy handed use of acquired there yeah. mm -hmm. reminds me of <laughs> way back, like right out of college, we had this buddy of ours who his voicemail was like this. I'm going to see if I could replicate it and I'm going to redact his name. Okay. So it goes, <laughs> his voicemail went like, yeah. This is redacted. I'm not here to obtain your call right now. So <laughs> blah, blah, blah. And me, me and the boys would just like nonstop 
clowning on his voicemail without him knowing it because of the use of obtain. I'm not here to obtain your call right now. It's like, oh my God. What are you doing? That reminds me okay. of that LSAT question. It's like the economic circumstances did not obtain or whatever. Did not obtain. Yeah. yeah. You're sounding like the LSAT test writers. Stop. Found you that. Yeah. Working in that's funny, by the way, with your friend. You didn't <laughs> tell him? You did it was, behind his I don't back. think we ever said anything to him. Maybe we made fun of him to his face about it. He was a super cool guy. I love that guy. But yeah, and it was it was also the the super casual tone. Like he's he because he literally started with uh, yeah, I think yeah. so. It was like, yeah, this is redacted, and then I'm not here to obtain your call. So it was the <laughs> weird, like tone shift from super casual, like, "Hey, what's up? Leave me a message." You know, <laughs> it started with that, and then it went to the crazily over formal use of obtain your call. Uh, good times. That is funny. Yeah. Working in the bakery made me appreciate everyone who came in at 5 a.m. for breakfast before work and then passed by after work at 10, 8 to 10 p.m. to bring fresh bread home to their families. This, this bread thing, he's just going all in on the he, – he, he thinks that he's supposed to have a central metaphor or something and he's using bread. I just have no interest. I, the part there that's interesting – when he said bakery, I was like, oh, damn, because I happened to uh, – I had a I had a Sunday school teacher, Ben, who was a baker. He was like the town baker in the small town that I'm from. And that dude would definitely be at work at 3 a.m. Yeah. And so when I heard I worked in my parents' bakery, I was like, oh, shit. Like this guy's legit. Eric is legit. But if you just said you worked in the bakery – and you were there before you opened at 5 a.m. And you were also there after you closed at 8 to 10 so p.m. So many hours. Yeah. That's and all I 13? need. And you're 13? That's so much better than him lecturing me on the work ethic of other people. I was already inferring Eric has a badass work ethic. Yeah. And instead, he's annoyingly forcing me to appreciate the work ethic, not of him, but of other people. So that he can illustrate his appreciation, which I just... His appreciation of other people's <laughs> work ethic. <laughs> hey, yeah, Eric, think... if you haven't done mm. your personal statement yet, you could totally use this as your personal statement. I mean... You'd still have to drop all these telling sentences about d- other people, but yeah, you could tell us what you did. Oh, I don't know, man. It's like he's 13. I'd still like something more recent. Okay, right. Okay, that's fine. Sure. Keep this as your diversity statement, but make it literally one paragraph. Yeah. My parents were immigrants. I worked in the bakery. I was there. Some days I was there at 3 a.m. to bake the bread before we opened at 5. Uh, other days I was there at 11 p.m. to mop up after we closed. I'm a first generation college student and that's it. Just get out of there. One paragraph. It would be so much better. Oh my God. Miles better. Here we go. More kind of heavy handed. I learned. Please don't ever say I learned. God damn. Yep. These are all like (laughs) banned. I learned most of the important things of my life 
are not taught in the classroom, but learn through the hard travails of life. Travails? <sighs> so these sentences Trials are valid because... Trials and tribulations. <laughs> the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. <laughs> remember that? That was from Wide World of Sports way back in the day. No, I don't remember that. Um, these sentences are failing because they're they're telling their... Um, poetic, but unnecessarily so. I Just everything needs to go here. Many of my customers were as hardworking and smart as my classmates, yet did not have the opportunities my classmates did, likely as a function of where they were born. Okay, random like comment on societal challenges. Also, now this is two sentences of Eric basically shitting on formal education. I mean, he just said... The important things of life are not taught in the classroom. Yep. On and you're applying a to law, law school, school <laughs> application. <laughs> Why are you going to school, Eric, if the important things in life are not taught in the classroom? Okay, that's just a direct insult of your reader. Uh, this is a person sitting inside of a law school campus building, and you're telling them that the important things in life are not taught in the classroom. And then with the hard knocks, whatever. Again, they want you to write a diversity statement because they are acknowledging that they want diverse perspectives and they want people who learned on the streets or whatever. But you don't need to say any of that shit. That's why, they're, that's why they want to know about your diversity. Talk about you, just your facts, not what you learned. Talk about what you did. I'm going to read more here, but I'm afraid none of this is salvageable. Working at my family's bakery made me live and understand firsthand, don't ever say firsthand, the harsh inequalities immigrants face in this country. That's a conclusion with no facts to back it up. Nope. You could have said people called you a Mexican or whatever, because I'm sure that's what happened. You know, like this dude is from South America and speaks Spanish and probably racists were referring to him as a Mexican his whole life. Hmm. But that's he didn't include that fact. Instead, he included this broad conclusion. All right, go ahead. As I perfected my Spanish and learned about Latin American cultures across the continuum of customers I met, what? I learned something else. Okay, this is like a warm-up to a sentence we don't even want to hear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> this is the trailer to the movie I'm not going to watch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what'd you learn? Tell me. I learned how many came here to grasp a piece of the American dream and bring it with them back to their countries. What? What does that have to do with you or your diversity? I made friends. Also, the stupid cliche of the American dream, and he put it weirdly in quotation marks, which he would not, don't do that. Yeah. Also, I don't think he read this out loud because he used the word learned three times in like 15 words there, mm -hmm. which if you had read it out loud, you, I don't, I don't think you would have left that in. And why okay. the continuum of customers, the continuum. Yeah. We got the continuum of customers. We also previously, if I could remind you, we had the socioeconomic spectrum Whoa. So we've got a spectrum in the first paragraph. Now we've got a continuum 
in the third paragraph, fourth paragraph, third paragraph. Wow. This is, we're only halfway through. Holy shit. All right. I'm going to stop interrupting you. Okay. Here we go. I made friends, but most importantly, I began to appreciate, that's another appreciate, what, 15 appreciations here? The world outside of the town I grew up in. (laughs) I don't care. My patrons at the bakery would reminisce about the family, culture, and country they left behind and could never revisit. Again, that's about them. Don't care. This home only existed in their memories as these people, times, and countries were long deserted when they immigrated, although succeeding in a new life here. That's Again, a garbage sentence. It's about them. What's the subject of that sentence? This home? <laughs> but wait. Eric, what's the subject of that sentence, dude? Yeah. And, and that comma clause at the end is totally broken. You've got subject verb problems here. And it's because you're just bloviating endlessly instead of just stating the facts plainly and getting out. Now the reader, you know, like you could have a perfectly polished personal statement and then you submit this as your diversity statement. And now they're going to think, eh, Eric's a so-so writer. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're going to be like, wow, he worked hard enough to use all these words fancy pants language, but he didn't work hard enough to recognize that that sentence is broken. I gained further appreciation of this now as an immigration paralegal when discussing my client's legal status. There's a time, uh, there's a uh, tense problem. I gained further appreciation of this now? (laughs) Gained now? (laughs) You mean gain now? (laughs) <laughs> and it's more appreciation. I really, you appreciate a lot, which is great. I'm glad you're grateful, but I, I don't see how that helps your case. I learned, oh, geez, more learning. <laughs> I learned how many people want to return to their country but want to legalize their situation here. What? They want to return, <sighs> but they want to be legal here? That means they want to stay. I don't understand. No, they, it's because what he, he's talking about there's weird immigration things where if you really do want to stay here, part of your making your case is that you can't go home even to visit. Yeah. Like you can't keep crossing the border illegally a million times. Okay. But now what are you, who, what? This is not about you. It's not about you. Okay. Many of my clients want to visit the tombs of their loved ones in their country that they were not able to say goodbye to in person. Not about you. Very sad, and I don't give a fuck. Many could not even see their grandchildren of the children they did not raise as they pursued a better life for their families by (laughs) immigrating to the United States. What does this have to do with you? This is all because they could not travel without being detained. It pains me to hear their tragic stories, but it relieves me that sometimes I can help them. (laughs) I'm sorry. Eric, stop. Just stop talking. I I assume that Eric talked about his work in the firm in his personal statement. Yeah. You know, and now he's like wanting to allude to it again in his diversity statement. But like, you know, compassion ain't it. I I am not looking for compassion. Mm -mm. There are far too many very compassionate law students who aren't 
going to be tough enough to practice law. I knew several of them personally in law school. Or compassionate and anything but diverse. Like, Eric's like conflating these two things. It's not answering the question and it's, yeah, bragging about compassion, which is just not a thing that I think you should be bragging about on your law school application. I don't, don't, it's not, it's not serious enough. The fact that you're working in immigration law makes me think that you're probably compassionate. You don't need to talk about it. Yep. Many of my clients, like the customers of my parents' bakery, ask me where I'm from. The question is hard to answer because my life is defined by an imaginary border between the United States of Latin American immigrants and... What? What? (laughs) Something needs to be between two things. (laughs) An imaginary border between the United States of Latin American immigrants. (laughs) So he's using a, a... like a metaphor, the United States of Latin American immigrants. And there's a border between those states, like different groups of immigrants or something. Anyway, cut, cut it. <laughs> Bye. A border where Spanish and English are intertwined in new ways and where my identity is defined by both growing up with my parents' redacted Quito culture and my Americanization. Incomplete sentence, Eric. That is an incomplete sentence. Bye. To most people, I am Quito. To others, I am Latin American. And to everyone else, I am American. What is this? <laughs> I mean, I get it. I do yeah. understand. That goes back to my Mexican thing earlier yeah. where mm-hmm. I can just imagine, you know, the farmers in the town where I grew up in definitely would just call Eric Mexican. They would just assume he's Mexican and the fact that he's Ecuadorian or whatever, they wouldn't give one shit about because they couldn't find Ecuador on a map. I I, kind of get it. I mean, I could see him keeping a little bit of this flavor, but get rid of the border metaphor and all that shit. You're just trying so hard. Way too hard. Eric continues, the ease with which I travel between these borders allows me no, to... No, you don't travel between <laughs> these borders. You would, you would cross the borders, but you would not travel between these borders. And please, for the love of God, cut all this shit. It's exactly what I predicted, Ben. The more he goes on, the more I hate it. Yeah, the more angry we get. Ugh. I travel between these borders allows me to handle my clients' immigration cases better because I am sensitive to their cultural nuances so I can feel comfortable describing their fears. So they can feel comfortable describing their fears. Sorry, I don't know what I said, but... Well, because it's putting you to sleep because it's just (laughs) such long, rambling bullshit. It's not about Eric at all. What are you trying to set? What point are you trying to get across here? The fact that your Latin American makes other Latin Americans open up to you. Yeah. Shocker. I mean, that's just not surprising. It's, <laughs> I'm not learning anything about you. And, and the, the endless lecturing about the state of affairs, about immigration and how different groups of immigrants interact with one another. That's not teaching me anything either. As an immigration lawyer, which is what I hope to become... Side note. <laughs> Obviously, 
I don't think you're one yet. As an immigration lawyer, I know that I can provide my future clients a perspective of having shared their journey vis-a-vis my parents' journey to legalization. <laughs> Ugh, trying too hard again and saying what vis-a-vis. you know. Wow. <laughs> and, and it's broken. I mean, it's just straight broken. It's not yeah. correct. This is an incorrect usage here with, I can provide my future clients a perspective of having shared their journey vis-a-vis my parent cut all of it. I will. I don't like these sentences, like these future projections. I know I can do this. I will do that. You don't know shit, dude. You don't. <laughs> you don't. <laughs> like, no you one don't. does. Who says no. these things? I will provide the best legal immigration advice I can provide my clients. Well, so, I mean, hey, throwback to my own personal statement when I was going to get rid of the California state lottery. Remember yeah, that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't know shit. I don't know. I did not know anything before I went to law school. You don't talk about what you learn. Don't talk about what you know. Don't talk about what you're going to do. Talk about facts. Talk about what you did. That's did, yeah. We say that a thousand times. We're saying it one more time. Who you are, where you're from, what you did, that's all fine. But all these f- prognostications got to go. I will provide my fellow law school colleagues my perspective as someone who lived in the shadows of parents who lived and worked here illegally. <laughs> What the hell? You live in the shadows. Now? <laughs> now they're looming over you. What? Or they wait, you lived in their shadows? You're a first generation college student. Okay. I offer my experience being raised by immigrants, serving immigrants, and assisting immigrants. There's <laughs> a nice like uh, trilogy there. Poten- you could potentially keep that. I mean, it's a fact yeah. that you know that you did those three things. You just got to make the whole personal. This whole uh, I keep saying personal statement because it reads like a personal statement. But you got to make this whole thing like r- literally twenty five percent as long as it is now, and then you could say boom, boom, boom. It's kind of nifty actually that you lived with that. You know, you're raised by them, you served them, um, and you help them now in the firm. Fine, that's that's fine. The next sentence starts with, I believe, which is going to probably go nowhere good. I believe the Latino population needs representation, not only by people who look and speak like them, but by those who understand the cultural nuances of their countries and idiosyncrasies, colon, a Latino who has lived through the undocumented immigrant experience. Don't care what you think. It's also broken. You have... Something by those, plural, and then you have a colon, and then you have a singular, a Latino. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. Just racking up the errors. The longer you go, the more errors you're going to be racked up, are going to be racked up. You know, uh, I as would suggest, by us. I would suggest, uh, you know, not everyone can send their personal statement into the show, but everybody for a few dollars and maybe even for free, I think, can use Grammarly. Just put your thing in Grammarly. It's going to start flagging a bunch of this stuff and saying, what? <laughs> what are you saying here? Rewrite. It may not be able to even yeah. fix some of these, but at least it'll tell you to get rid of it. Um, everyone should do Grammarly uh, at least once. 
on their statement. I hope to be the first in my family to attend law school. Uh, first short sentence. No shit. <laughs> your, your family didn't even go to school. Yeah. We know that. We already know that about you. I hope to. Yeah, you're applying to my law school. <laughs> I hope the sun comes out tomorrow. I want to give back to my community of Latin American immigrants as a lawyer who can offer something beyond the nostalgia my parents sell through their bread. Colon. <laughs> Jesus Christ. The privilege to travel as a legal immigrant between their old home country and their new home in this country. No shit. You could have told this whole story in three sentences. <laughs> I'm the child of, immig of immigrants. I worked in their bakery when I was 13. I work in immigration now. Yeah, that would be interesting. <laughs> that says every bit as much as this does. That actually says more because unfortunately the message gets lost. Yeah. All right, Eric. I hope um, that gives you something to do. That, I mean – the thing about cutting is it's easy. You just delete it and you just go back and you tighten up the things that are left and it should be like a paragraph. Yeah. This is a fine, like first draft free write. I mean, the thing is it's not, it's the 10th draft. We can tell because of all the fancy pants bullshit that Eric put into this Yeah, with the colons and the M dashes and the 10 cent words, 10 cent words, $10 words, whatever it is. I don't know what that clunky state statement is or saying cliche is supposed to be yeah point is <laughs> this is it, it's a good start now you got to cut it way 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 down shorter sentences shorter paragraphs fewer paragraphs cut almost all of it boom we're on facebook instagram youtube at thinking elsa and at elsa demon you can follow us at Thinking Elsa, and you can follow Nathan at nfox on Twitter. Leave us a review on iTunes. Email the show if you love us or hate us or have a question or whatever at help at thinkingelsat.com. Anything else? If you have any questions about the LSAT demon, you can email help at lsatdemon.com as well. Best thing to do, though, is to just do the free trial and get to work on some LSAT questions right away. We believe we have the very best explanations and the very best technology. Um, nobody loves teaching LSAT more than I do. I really hope you'll come uh, study with us. Amen. That was episode 272 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. Thanks all y'all for listening. Nice knowing you. Don't pay for law school. Bye.